Welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm excited to have you join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs in the photography industry as we dive into real conversation about photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer. Visit photographersedit.com. And now, let's dive into conversation. All right, well, we are officially live. I'm here with Sarah Petty. Thanks so much, Sarah, for joining me on this Boca Podcast episode today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And and I think that you and I have had the opportunity to meet each other or chat in person maybe once or twice at this point. But uh, I love having guests on our podcast uh, where I, I'm actually still getting to know them. And that's the case here. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and let our listeners kind of chime in uh, or listen in rather to our conversation as I get to know you a little bit better. So I just tell us about you, where you're from, where you're based, uh, and a little bit about your family, if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm in Springfield, Illinois. So I'm literally almost in a cornfield. <laughs> I can see corn from my window. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm on the interstate between St. Louis and Chicago. So right in the middle of Illinois. So now, pretty is, cool. Is this kind of, uh, would you describe it as country life? I mean, when you can see cornfields, it sounds like it might be, <laughs> but how would you describe it? <laughs> Well, it, it's it's not really literally in a cornfield. Our city is about 100,000, so we actually have some buildings and things. But it's funny because people always say, well, you don't understand. You're in a big city, and I'm really not in a big city. I'm in a rural market. So we have a city, but yeah, I would consider it fairly rural. As far as high schools, there are, are two, I think, city high schools, a couple private, and then most of the kids are in rural schools where they might be on a bus for 30 minutes in country riding to school. So pretty rural. I, I love that. I actually live in uh, or just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Chattanooga, the city proper, is maybe a couple hundred thousand people, maybe a half a million in the surrounding areas altogether. <laughs> but I, I kind of have this fantasy of one day living maybe a little bit further out in the country. And I, I love the idea of you know, being in, in some farmland and, and seeing a barn nearby. And I don't know, there's something about that that seems very peaceful and appealing to me. But, um, yeah, come come stay with me for a couple of days and, and experience septic and well life. <laughs> you, may, you may change your mind. Okay, noted. <laughs> and I may just take you up on that invitation. So you're seriously now. Are you originally from that area? Yeah, my dad was a teacher, and they moved here when I was about two because the university he was teaching at in Michigan was closing or laying off people. So, yeah, we moved here when I was two and uh, pretty much grew up here, and I went to college in Memphis, actually, not far from you, and thought I would go live in Chicago after I graduated, and you couldn't buy a job back then. So I ended up getting a really good job here locally at the Regional Bottler of Coca-Cola, so started my career off. My I have a business, two business degrees actually. I have an undergrad and an MBA. Wow! But went to work for Coca Cola. So I really learned a lot about branding and being strong about creating a strong brand. That's really important to me. And what did you do with Coke that ended up kind of translating to some of the work that you've done in the photography industry? Well, I was pretty entry level. It wasn't really a high level job, okay. but my boss, I played volleyball in college and my, I was right out of college and my boss was, uh, had played 
football for Notre Dame when they won the title in 77 with Joe Montana. And then he played pro for a little bit. So we really just hit it off. I had three interviews that day. They were, they needed somebody and they pretty much hired me, but I was working with people on the logo and the branding. So if they were doing a promotion with a, with a big mass retailer, um, or even a convenience store, whomever it was, they needed all the branding. And I had binders of logos and like the, it can be used this way, but not this way and pictures. And this was pre-digital. So everything would, we would clip it out and we would paste it up or mail it to them. And I would have to stress over and over, this is how it's, this is how it can go. This is how it can't go. And I see business owners changing their logo every week and using different fonts. And it always makes me crazy because you can't build a strong brand on a weak identity. And so those identity symbols for me became something that I'm very, very religious about using. You use my exact logo, even though it's made from a font, it's a manipulated font. So you have to use the actual logo. You don't just type it in. That's a really interesting point and, and something that probably isn't discussed enough in our industry. And, and maybe maybe we'll have to have you back on for a second interview and dive into just that topic because it's uh, you, you do see this not just from photographers, but I think uh, other brands in our industry, other vendors in our industry, where even something as simple as not paying attention to the fonts that are used for the sake of keeping that continuity in the brand uh, is, a, is a pretty particular issue. Um, I know that's something that I that I work really hard with, with the Photographer's Edit brand, for example, um, and certainly with Boca, even though it's a bit new. Um, but what, what do you have just a recommendation or two to photographers when they're approaching creating a, a brand identity or more specifically a logo and the associated identity for their business, some things that they should keep in mind? For sure. So when you're creating those and making those decisions, they should really be based on your style and your personality. Just think if you're branding yourself and you're, you're starting with a completely new wardrobe, what, what are you like? What do you want to communicate to people? My photography is bright and whimsical and playful. So while my logo is pretty straightforward, I did that because I didn't want it to be dated. I didn't want to use a trendy font. I can put bright colors with it for seniors. We, we go a little more grunge. We can mix, you know, different materials for the packaging for them, but yet my bags are consistent and, and are similar for everybody. So picking something that's not trendy, that is consistent with who you are and, and your type of photography. So it's really hard because there's not a right or a wrong. It's sort of like asking people to pick their favorite color So I always feel like if you're doing it as an extension of you, you're not going to go wrong. If you're a a mellow, chill person and you always wear neutral colors and you're not bold and bright colors, then you wouldn't create an identity that's that way. You would create something really chill and beautiful and simple and clean versus, you know, what you think you should have. Sure. That totally makes sense. So the keys here that, that I'm hearing, first of all, is to create a, a logo and identity for your brand that is a reflection of your personality, really important. And then consistency. Uh, we, we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, the importance of consistency and then the portrayal of your brand. I love that. Really great advice. And like I said, maybe we can come back to that at another point. Um, really interesting. I think it's a fascinating discussion um, and, and something that really isn't focused on enough in our industry. So thank you for that sure. advice. Let's jump back to you. Uh, are you married? Tell us a, bit, a little bit about your family. <laughs> 
I am married. I have three really awesome teenagers, if that's an oxymoron. <laughs> it might be. Um, I have twins that turned 16 in October, so they're driving now. And oh, I have wow. a 14-year-old this weekend, actually. And uh, a lot of fun. So eighth grader and two sophomores. My husband is also an entrepreneur. He's an architect. And it's been our dream since we've both been in business. I've been in business almost 20 years, and he's at about 25, to build a business, a building that we could share our businesses. And so literally, we are moving into it as we speak. I'm already pretty much in, and he's not quite in yet. We we don't uh, have all the parking lot in and a couple things working, but um, it's pretty cool. We really live with a family-first filter so all the decisions we make for our businesses go through that filter. I love it. And yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool. I'm a little nervous to be working in the same building with my husband. <laughs> I hope. I, I guess we survived building it together. So um, we're in different businesses. So if we were in the same business, uh, I think one of us might not survive. But <laughs> sure. Well, there's something to be said, and I've learned this particularly over the last few years, just in, in my own personal life. Um, that there's a there's something to be said for independence and maintaining a strong romantic relationship in the long run, uh, or so it seems. And <laughs> um, and so the fact that you guys are in two different industries, uh, even if you are in the same building, that you're doing your own thing, I think that in independence um, can is, is probably, or I would guess, and I'd be curious in your take on this, but I would guess really is helpful and maintaining some some interest and some passion in the relationship in the long run. Because if you're always focusing on the same thing, and you're always talking about the same thing, it could probably get a little bit monotonous, right? Yeah, and I, I work with a lot of students who are married, and it does bring a lot of extra challenges if you're in business with your spouse. But, you know, for me, I've always been a futuristic thinker in my business, in my life, and I just know that in a couple of years, we're going to be empty nesters, yeah. and I want us to have things still in common, which, as of course, right now we're in sports world, and we're with our kids all the time, and and uh, this building has really been a fun project to work on together we're on, I'm on the North with a, with a really cool North light camera room and he's on the South. And then in the middle, we put a little half gym so I can shoot photos from above. We can do all kinds of cool senior stuff, but mostly our family can play volleyball. <laughs> That's really <laughs> so, awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Now I, I know. Mentoring, yeah. Kid, teenagers. So we'll have a lot of, a lot of fun things happening here, even when our kids are gone. That's, that's really, if nothing else, then just you and a husband can play volleyball, right? Seriously, we did that the other night. We were listening to Christmas music. <laughs> it was April. That's and, hilarious. Uh, playing volleyball. It was very funny. I know. <laughs> yeah, I actually have, um, I have two kids myself and uh, my son Austin is 15. He's in ninth grade. And I just took him out the other day uh, for his first uh, drive, if you will. We just went to a parking lot and he drove around for a little bit. That was a lot of fun. Um, I bought him a motorcycle recently, or not too long ago, and uh, here in Tennessee, at 15, you can actually get a permit to ride a motorcycle within 20 miles of your house, and so I Whoa. ride motorcycles, and um, the, the the agreement between myself and, and Austin's mother is that uh, he learns to, to drive the car first, learn to engage with traffic first in the car, um, and then he can kind of transition to the motorcycle, so that's the uh, that's the plan at this point. But I got a really cool retro 1977 Honda, and um, I ride motorcycles, so it's something that we're going to actually be able to do together, which should be a lot of fun. But um, I, I, it's a bit of a nerve wracking process. I know he did really great in the parking lot, but transitioning from that <laughs> to the road, I'm not quite so sure yet. 
Yeah, well, mine did not do well in the parking lot. So, and we survived it. So, there's hope for you. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you said that you started uh, with Coca Cola, which is really interesting. Actually, Chattanooga was home to one of, if not the first, bottling company for Coca Cola. Oh, uh, but cool. talk to us a little bit about how you got into the photo industry. Yeah, well, I left Coke and I went to work for an ad agency. That was kind of my dream. I wanted to be in the creative side of creating commercials and building other people's businesses. My dad was an entrepreneur and I grew up in small business and I loved marketing and I just loved it. So I did that for a couple of years and then I got pregnant with my twins and I spent the most of the year in the hospital and I realized, oh my gosh, I don't want to go back to the ad agency world. It was so many hours and, um, I just, I wanted to be with my new babies and I'd been doing photography for fun just on the side. And while I was in the hospital or on bed rest for that, almost was like 33 weeks, I, uh, I had a whole legal pad of people who had called about photos and were going to wait for me. Of course I was broken. I had terrible pricing. I was way underpriced. I didn't have any kind of sales process or anything, but I was a good marketer. (laughs) So, uh, I opened a studio two weeks before 9-11. Wow. I went to my first conference and I uh, I had these newborn babies, had everything broken. It was this little sort of low-end dive place that had bars on the windows, left a good salary with paycheck and benefits and vacation. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work, I'll do something else. Well, quickly I realized, all right, I'm working really hard and I'm not making any money. It's kind of like the shoot and burn model of today, right. but it was, I was giving people proofs for 75 bucks, 35 hand printed black and white proof. So wow. clearly I wasn't making any money. Yes. And so I went to this conference and I learned how to price a little bit. I'm, I'm just going from person to person. Like, what would you do? What do you do? Trying to find people. And I realized, okay, I've got to change my sales process. I need to be selling in person. I need to be priced higher. I made all these changes in two weeks, bought a projector, changed my pricing. And I thought I'm, I, I didn't have to sign a lease. So I thought I'll try it a couple months. And if it doesn't work, I'm, I'm stopping because I'm not going to work this hard and not make money. And believe it or not, I, I did lose a few clients and I just addressed them and said, look, I, I'm not going to stay in business. So I'm not doing any of us a favor by how I was doing things, but look at all the cool new things I'm doing. And and um, it just took off from there. I really didn't have that long-term vision at that point. And it was super fun. <laughs> so this was how long ago that you started? This was, Well, believe it or not, I opened that first studio two weeks before 9-11 yeah. in 2001. That's right. I'm sorry. You said that a second ago. Okay. So now we're talking about, uh, what, about 16 years ago then? Yep. Yep. So I started in 98, just part time while I was working at the ad agency, building a portfolio. I was charging people, but I'd keep inching the prices up, but I was charging people. I was paying sales tax. I had a legitimate business working nights and weekends, had a dark room in my basement. And, um, it was when I opened the studio in 2001 and I left my full-time job. So I didn't have any income coming in that I realized, okay, I better take this thing a little more seriously. <laughs> for sure. Well, and I, I remember when you talk about $75, charging $75 for you know, 35 prints and losing money, because of course you've got the expense of the film itself and then the, the, the processing development, um, that my first wedding that I ever photographed, I think I charged $350 and this was in 2001 or 2002, so actually about the same time. But 
we shot, or I shot about 12 rolls of film that day. So (laughs) needless to say, I I lost a bit of money in that first venture, but, um, I I love the, I love the aggressive approach to business. When you, like when you went for it, you just went for it and, and you turned it into something that worked. And I'm, I'm sure that part of that had to do with your experience in marketing and in sales. And we're going to touch on sales here in just a little bit, but you currently have really two primary business ventures. It's Sarah Petty Photography and then Joy of Marketing. So kind of break down what each brand represents, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I got this business going, the photography business. People started asking me to speak. Um, PPA named my studio one of the most profitable in the country within five years of opening there in 2001. And so everybody wanted to know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And here, then I had another baby. I had three little babies at home and I thought, oh my gosh, I cannot travel a ton. So I started a second company called The Joy of Marketing. And it really, I created it because the demand was there. Here was all these creatives and super talented creatives, which is really funny because I had the insecurities that everybody has. I I didn't have any formal photo training. I didn't feel like I was good enough to be charging. I just knew I had to. And, and so everybody I think has to, to, to come to that realization that we're never going to fully feel like we're worth what we're charging. We just have to be able to thrill our clients and that makes us worth what we need to make. And and do you think that's a very practical kind of approach to it all? And, and in, in the end, I mean, as much as so many photographers talk about being artists. The reality is that we have to run a business. Uh, and if we don't think at, about it practically, um, we're going to have a tough time creating a, a profitable venture, right? It's true. It's true. And and think about it. We have a, it's kind of a talent that we have and we, because it's easy for us to take photos and we love it. We assume anyone can do it, but people can't, <laughs> they can't really do what we do. Sure. Well, they get lucky here and there, sure, but they don't know how to put it in their home and how to print it large and color correct and manage exposure and all the things that we know how to do. So um, it is an internal battle that I think everybody has to get through if they're going to survive as a professional photographer, that you have to be willing to charge money and you do feel vulnerable and and that's okay. <laughs> but sometimes you just kind of got to go for it too, right? I mean, when, when we're talking about the idea of, of being practical, Uh, as much as photographers struggle with trying to figure out how to price themselves at the end of the day, they know they have to make a living so they can at least start there. This is how much I need to make in order to cover my expenses and to put a little bit of money away. And based on that, this is how much I need to make an hour and so on and so forth. Um, thinking about it from a practical standpoint to begin with is a great place. And then you can kind of build from there, especially based on what, uh, what your brand represents and uh, who your target market is. Uh, but yep. something I noticed on your website, uh, sarahpetty.com, is that correct? <laughs> yes. Perfect. One, one of the things that you have an intro video there, and, and you made a really interesting point. Talk about setting yourself apart and not everybody being able to do this, um, is this idea of creating custom artwork for the home. And instead of, instead of uh, going out and buying various pieces of artwork, whether you're just running to Target or you're going to an art show, why not order a custom print of your favorite people or you and your favorite people for your home. And I think that simple notion is a really beautiful one. I've recently even been considering doing the same thing for myself. Uh, Images of me and my kids. I love black and white. You talked about black and white earlier. I love black and white. And uh, I'd like to decorate my my home with a lot more uh, of those prints, images of myself, my kids. But I think this is a a really great um, kind of an approach to setting your brand apart is focusing on the process of selling prints. How do you go about doing that for your clients? 
Well, part of it is the words that we choose. So I talk about it as custom artwork for your home. I don't say prints or pictures or, or snapshots or anything like that. This is artwork. And people start to see it differently because pictures come out of a, a different budget than when you're decorating your home because you could go to the art fair and spend thousands of dollars on tulips or cows or plums or whatever you want. <laughs> right. Or you could invest in images of you in Austin with your cool bike and his cool new bike and you're standing there in the sun setting. And every time you look at that, when he's got his own kids, you'll look at that image and you'll get goosebumps. Hey, I'm, I'm sold already. <laughs> yeah, I, love I mean, that's, it. those so are the true. conversations I have with my clients. I don't have to hard sell. Yeah. You know, we're, we wanted to talk a little bit about selling today too, but I don't like, I don't want to be pushy. I don't have to be pushy. And it's funny because I think a lot of creatives think, oh, I don't want to sell. I have to be pushy. I have to make people buy things they don't want. No, that's something you want and need. No one photographed me as a child because I was the second. It was in the days of film. I had a crazy older brother who was 100 miles an hour. We were close together. And I just wasn't photographed. And so I'm very passionate with my clients. I mean, I truly, you're not my client. You're not my market. But I want you to have that. Whether you take it or you have a friend take it, you need that in your home. Your kids need that in their homes when they go off to college and when they get their first apartment, they have that picture with their dad snuggling. They have that picture with their mom. They can look at it and go, this is my dad. This is my mom. They love me more than anything in the world. So no matter how I screw up, they love me. That's pretty awesome. And how do you put a price on that? You can't. And, and uh, we all know now why you have done so well. <laughs> I mean, really, that's You're truly, like, I'm coming there. <laughs> but it's truly compelling. And, and your points are, are more than valid. And, and I can just only imagine how that translates to your clients. And, and again, why you've done so well. That's, that's really, really wonderful. So Sarah, Sarah Petty Photography and then Joy of Marketing, you mentioned launching this venture as well. And I want to read something that, that's on the, the website. And this is at joyofmarketing.com. Uh, it says, why are we here at Joy of Marketing? Well, it's pretty simple. We're excited to come to work every day because we help fulfill dreams of photography studio owners like you who want the flexibility that having a small business allows. The flexibility to be parents, friends, spouses, travelers, and passionistas at what we love. We have the flexibility too, so we can relate. Uh, I love this mission statement, and I didn't realize it was in such coincidence with the Photographer's Edit brand, which is about ultimately creating flexibility, giving photographers time so that they have flexibility as business owners to focus on relationships. Uh, this is what you guys are focused on as well. Talk a little bit about how you, uh, you mentioned just briefly how you got into that earlier, but talk a little bit more about what's behind that brand. Yeah, for me, it's that family first filter. I could teach people how to have a, a, um, a shoot and burn business model and make a lot of money, but your life is going to stink right? because you're working all the time. And that's really why I created the joy of marketing to teach people how to attract better clients, not rich clients. It's not about them having money. It's about finding people who value what we do. They pay us a, a good rate. We can make good money so that we can be awesome in our lives. I am at every track meet, every volleyball game. I'm going to St. Louis this weekend for a two day volleyball tournament. 
I'm able to do that because I'm not having to shoot and edit and work all the time. And that's why really where I get passionate and why I'm in business at the joy of marketing, because I want people to have their life back. We're taking a huge risk by being an entrepreneur and putting ourselves out there and knowing that there is no guaranteed paycheck coming in ever. And for doing that, we should have a reward bigger than money. And that is having our life back to travel, to do, to, if people don't have kids, it's to, to enjoy your life and be with your parents or be with your friends. And that's what it's about for me. That is my why. And, and to that point, um, I, something that I talk about with photographers uh, quite a bit, actually, is the idea of establishing kind of a big picture, what I refer to as a big picture view. Um, and it's this idea of having kind of the overriding goal, which drives what you do. And that translates down to your business model and then how you run your business on a day-to-day basis. And you very obviously have established that big picture view for yourself, which is family first. And I love that everything that you do is driven by that. And it's, it shows so obviously, and what a beautiful mission statement for, for the brand joy of marketing. I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I want to kind of segue from that because interestingly enough, that brand isn't simply about creating that flexibility, but it's teaching sales that enable that flexibility. And you mentioned earlier, we're going to dive into this conversation about sales. Sales, very frankly, were never and really never has been a uh, strong point for myself. Um, at when, when I had my wedding photography business, we were charging enough uh, for what we wanted up front uh, with our wedding clients and not really putting in any effort on the back end of selling prints and, and other products and uh, so this was never a strength of mine as a photographer, and it's still something that I have to work on as, a, as a, an editing company owner as well. Uh, but something that we talked about, I think you mentioned briefly or alluded to in an email, one of our emails back and forth was the idea of selling for the sake of more balance uh, in a photography business uh, and the photographer's life. So I'd like to get your take, first of all, on what, what that means. What does that actually look like? Yeah. So selling makes the world go round first off. I mean, we're not going to stay in business if we can't sell, but, um, that's why I teach the boutique business model because it's what gives us the freedom and flexibility. And it, what it's, what allows us to find out what our clients want. It's not hard, pushy sales. It's spending more time with people so that we can have that filter of having our life and being able to do the things that we want to do to do those things. We have to be able to create things that people love and will give us money for. And that doesn't happen if we don't sell to them. So how do you avoid then? And you've kind of alluded to this, but just to get some further clarification, um, I know that for myself and many others that are listening, probably the apprehension when it comes to sales is the, the potential of coming across across really pushy or salesy, just to borrow another kind of cliche term. Yeah. How do you, how do you go about selling what your services or what your product is without coming across in a, a kind of an annoying manner for lack of a better term? Yes. Yes. It's funny. Cause I was a marketing major in college and people would go, Oh, you're in sales. And I would say, oh, no, I'm in marketing <laughs> because I'm not going to sell anything to anybody. I hate to sell. And I did hate sales. I was that pushy, obnoxious sales kid who was doing all the Girl Scout cookies and people would say no. And I'd say, no, really, you need it. 
And we've all done that. We've all felt what that feels like to feel yucky. So I was right there with everybody. And I was saying, I'm not going to do in-person selling. That's so pushy. Like I'm right there with them. I'm going to be pushy. And it took me, I've been doing this 19 years, but it didn't take me very long. Um, But what I did is I created a system with the customer in mind. So I looked at it from, okay, a customer's calling me and they're saying, I want photos. They don't know what they want. Is it a 20 by 30 or an album or a, a series of six? We don't know what they want, but they want something. If I don't get them what they want, they're leaving without ordering, which is what was happening to me over and over and over again. I feel like I failed them. So I figured, okay, I need to create a system that serves them, that helps them get what they want. And I really just reverse engineered it, not how can I make the most money, because that's definitely going to add the pushy. I just went from, I started with like, okay, I did this session. They're saying they love the images and they're not buying anything. So I'm failing them. So I went back and I looked at, okay, how can I help them better? What questions do I need to ask? And that's the system that I use to this day. It's really a five-step system. It starts with the first phone call. I always have an in-person consultation where I have like seven things that happen in each of these steps so I can find out what the heck it is they want. I'm in the third step, I'm shooting to sell. So I'm making sure that I'm shooting what they've already told me they want. And before that, I would just go into sessions thinking, you know, I'm going to shoot really good stuff and they're going to buy it and it doesn't happen. The fourth one is the hour-long presentation. I've orchestrated that down to the minute and then the pickup where they – Um, where I upsell them if they might want holiday cards or graduation announcements, books, whatever, and framing, that kind of thing. And that's when I ask for a referral. So once I started doing this, without the money part in my mind, people started ordering and they're thanking me for spending so much time with them and for making this decision so easy, making this process so easy because they wanted photos. They just didn't, they don't know how to tell you what they want and they don't know how to pick on their own. And then as I work out, like I do something wrong and then I'd say, okay, what did I do wrong? How can I serve them better? I'd fix it. The next time, boom, they're happy. Something else would go wrong and I would fix it. And my orders just kept going higher and higher and higher. It's really crazy how that works. This is fascinating. Okay. I want to, I want to touch on something though that you mentioned in that sales process. And that was that you, you were asking the client what they wanted. They were, or or, or even just giving them the opportunity to tell you what they wanted. And you focused on that rather than just shooting what you wanted, you asked for what they wanted. How do you, and I can, I can hear some photographers who are like, well, this is my art. I'm going to create what I want. And if they like it, great. If not, then too bad. Um, how would you respond to those photographers? How do you maintain your, your artistry and your style while still providing what the client is asking for? Yeah. So I don't find that, that that is actually the the concern because I work with so many photographers um, that I teach. Some do think that, but I think the bigger assumption is, well, they went to my website. They saw what I do. You know, maybe you're like edgy black and white. You just assume that's what they want. And I remember I had a client who came to me and she's like, was referred by a client who did all these bright, big canvases and all this fun stuff. And I just assumed that's what she wanted. But I thought, you know what? She came from referral. I'll have her in and I'll do the consultation. And she was a doctor, which 
when it's a it's a right a left brain profession, it always makes me think, okay, they may want they not may not be looking for something as creative. So again, these are all buying signals. So I teach that in my you know when I'm teaching selling to my students like how to look for this. But I started asking questions. Um, she decorated in all neutral. She was wearing like khakis and, you know, no, no frills. I mean, some of my clients come in in the brightest, you know, jewelry and purses and all this stuff. She was very conservative. And I kept thinking, that's so weird that she came as a referral from this client who bought all this stuff. And she said, oh, I just, we're going to all wear brown. And, you know, I just want some family things, probably just the four of us just looking at the camera. And I'm thinking, why would you come to me? I don't show that on my website. I don't do that. But I said, okay, cool, cool. So we shot that. And then when we got done, I did what I wanted to do. Like I had the dad flipping the little boy upside down and they're wrestling. And I got all these really fun images. And yet she bought the Pose family group. And it was just a lesson in, had I not had that conversation, I would have assumed, oh, she came from this other client. That's what she wants. Or I would assume she saw my website. That's what she wants. And she just thought my photography was nice and she wanted photos of her family, but maybe that's how she was raised or that's what she wanted. And you know, I, I can shoot that. You're never gonna see it on my website or in my studio, but I'm happy to shoot that for people. And so once I started realizing that I that I could find out what they want and it, it, you can't really just ask them what they want because they don't know. Sure. <laughs> they won't be able to really tell you, but I think that's part of our job is to show them things and see what they react to and say, what about this or what about this? And um, a lot of times, once you suggest it, like if I were to say, picture you and each of your kids doing something you love, um, and then we put that in a series over your like three tall black and white canvases, really edgy, really cool over your sofa, like three of them in a row or four of them or, or, or whatever. How cool would that be? And you go, oh, I love that idea. I just sold that to you and I haven't even shot it yet. So Instead of me thinking I'm just going to shoot something that you're going to love, I want you to confirm that, yes, indeed, you would like that. For sure. For sure. So it's, it's a back and forth conversation and I don't want to give too much away here because it, well, first of all, <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, you've got a lot more to offer to expound on, on these, uh, these ideas and the sales process at the joy of marketing. It's joymarketing.com, And I'm going to send our listeners that direction. We'll talk about something that's coming up here in May associated with that brand here shortly. But, uh, I, I, am fascinated by this idea that you're kind of setting aside your preferences for the sake of focusing on what the client wants. Um, and, and you learn that through this particular process. I know that, um, and I've been, I've owned photographers at it, the editing company now for almost 10 years. And I've been a bit too egotistical in the process of developing the company and kind of focusing on what I thought was best versus even just doing something as simple as taking the time to survey our clients or potential clients and get their yeah. feedback about what it is they're actually looking for. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if, if we want a successful business, we do need to meet the needs and desires of those clients or potential clients. And, and making even just a little bit of an effort to pay attention to that can make a massive difference. So this is a huge, a wonderful huge. example from you. This is really great. Nathan, Nathan, think if you went in to get your hair cut and you're like, I want a mullet. And they're like, well, but I think you should have a, a, cr a crew cut, you know, the flat top, you know, kind of cut. Because that's what your hair guy wants to give you. 
Well, no, that's not what you want. I mean, would you ever get your hair done, especially the, the ladies listening? I mean, goodness, we, we want it long, we want it short, we want it curly, we want it colored, we want it a little red this time, a little blonde this time. We have to have that conversation with our hairdresser before they touch our hair. My gal's been doing my hair for 15 years and every single time she asks me, what are you thinking this time? You wanna go a little this, you wanna go a little that. She can't possibly give me what I want without finding it out. Right. And so as photographers, you know, I have clients who come back year after year. I can't just do the same thing I did. I've got to meet with them. I've got to figure out how, what else do they need in their house? Because if I don't find a place in their house for something, they're not going to buy anything. So it's a, it's an absolute must to have those conversations. Well, I love that you found, first of all, I love your passion. I mean, it just exudes through your voice and, and, uh, I'm, I'm, it makes me excited. So, um, thanks for sharing that with us. But I love the balance that you found too. And Hey, this is my brand. This is what my brand represents. This is the type of photography that I generally uh, do. And that's, what's represented on my website, but you're still making the exceptions for the sake of ultimately serving the client and what they're looking for. And I think that's a, an absolutely wonderful balance. Again, I'm going to refer our listeners to joyofmarketing.com to learn more about some of these selling principles, but what are maybe one or two, two or three different things that photographers can do immediately to kind of change their sales process for the better? Well, one you is, um, I'll give you three. Okay. Awesome. One on the first phone call, you've got to tell people what makes you different before you bring up price. And I spend hours in classes teaching people how to tell what makes themselves different, but they have to know because why should you go to a fancy deli versus a subway? You have to have that conversation. Then you have to be comfortable giving price. Okay. So that's one you bring up price in a positive way. Number two is meeting with them before. You have to meet with them before to find out what they want, to build a relationship, to educate them, to overcome objections, to build trust. So many things happen in that meeting. People always talk about the sales being pushy at the end. It's because you didn't do your work in the beginning. That's a great point. And then third, um, sitting with them to order. Okay. I use a projector. It's, it's, it's such an amazing way to sell. Even if you have to sit with your laptop or plug into their TV, if you sit with them and help them order, if you do those three things, even though you'll still say something's wrong and you'll probably mess up here or there, you, if you do those three things, your sales will go up. And the, the very fact that you have taken the time, I, you said that there was an hour-long sales process at the end, but how long, how much of a difference did that make in your sales or before and after you started that, that sales session at the end? Because this is, again, something that I never did as a wedding photographer, and I, I can't imagine how much money as a business owner that I left yeah. on the table as a result. But how much yeah. of a difference did that make in, in revenue for your business? Huge, huge. It's why I'm still in business. So my sales immediately tripled. Wow. And then, um, it, and that's not uncommon. And even with my students, because I like to share my students' successes, because sometimes people go, oh, yeah, but that's Sarah Petty. You know, she's just special or different or whatever. <laughs> but students consistently, I have a selling course. So I, I walk them through the five steps, they practice it. Their sales consistently are over $1,500 per, this is portrait order, weddings are much higher, Wow! but $1,500. So I give people that as a standard. I mean, if you're making two or $300 per order, you have a lot of room to grow really fast and, and get those orders up. Sure. And, and is this, is this a possibility with, 
clients who we may not necessarily consider quote high end. And I know that that's kind of a subjective term, different people, different use it differently, but I mean, $1,500 for a portrait session order is incredible. Um, I don't know many people who do that on a regular basis as, as professional photographers, but can you expect that working with kind of the average photography client or are you looking for, are you looking at a particular income demographic uh, in order to make those kinds of sales? Yeah, so this is a, I'm just going to be right straightforward with you. Awesome. This is a block that is in your mind okay. and other photographers' mind. It's not reality of what's out there in the market, that there aren't people who will pay this. For 20 years, people have been paying me this and much more, and I see it over and over and over with my students. Once they can remove that block of, oh my gosh, there aren't people, Sometimes the wealthiest people hold their money the tightest. So no, it's not about getting wealthy clients. It's about educating people on photography. Look, people go out, look at, go to your kid's school and look in the parking lot. People are buying 50, 60, $80,000 vehicles that they drive off, off the lot and they're devalued by 15, $20,000 in 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So if you start looking at where people are spending their money, they're spending their money in a lot of places. They're buying recreational things. They're belonging to a country club that costs eight grand a summer to golf for three months. So um, I even American Girl doll. Did you say you have a daughter too? I do. Yeah. Did you ever go through the American Girl doll phase? Just briefly, but yes. Yeah. She's 12 yes. in the middle school now. Yeah. So when you go to that store and you watch people put down thousands of dollars over and over and over right. and over. People have money to spend. That's a doll that they're going to play with for a year or two. This is artwork that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And for me, there's a no brainer of yeah. where you spend your money. Well, and, and I love, I actually loved that, that kind of pregnant pause there because really that's the point, right? And, and how difficult could it really be to, to, um, I'll use the term since we're, we're talking about it, but to sell the clients on that idea. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm listening to you. First of all, your passion is just incredible. I love it. I love engaging with passionate people. And, um, but that translates then to the selling process where instead of trying to just convince them to buy a print, you're communicating the significance of, of the legacy of these images and the imagery on their walls and what that means to everyone in their family. And it's a beautiful exactly. thing. And, and at that point, how can they, how can they, how can they avoid um, investing in those prints? I, I think it's a really beautiful, beautiful example that you're setting. Um, I, I may even myself have to jump over to that site and, and uh, sign up for one of the classes. <laughs> this has been really, really wonderful. I can't thank you enough, Sarah, for, for sharing your passion and, and your knowledge. Um, just as we kind of close out this conversation, I'm, I'm really curious because you talked about the flexibility um, that you'd like to enable other photographers to have in their businesses and ultimately their personal lives. You've talked about the focus on your family. What are a couple of things that you do on a consistent basis to create that, that freedom and that flexibility in your life and in your family's life? I delegate. I'm not afraid to delegate. So we're raised to believe that we have to manage our house and we have to be great at laundry and we have to be great at paying bills and we have to be great at everything. And you know what? I'm the first to admit I am not great at everything. And I know what tasks make me money and I know what tasks I love to do. So when I'm, when I'm, you know, I don't edit my photos anymore. We, you know, I don't need to do that. That's where companies like yours come in. I, 
I'm not making money if I'm sitting editing photos. For sure. I shoot, I shoot and I sell and I market. That's what I do in my photography studio. And I've, I have had nannies, I've had home care, um, you know, not always full time, but I had three babies within two years. So it was cost effective for me, but, um, I, I don't have a problem hiring for help with laundry and dishes and grocery. You know, we have groceries delivered most of the time. So I'm, I don't come home and I'm not crabby mommy. Mommy can only do so many things. I want to come home fully present, happy, excited that I had a great day at work and excited to be a hundred percent with my family. And so I think as entrepreneurs, if we're looking at how we can grow and create a profitable business, we've got to look at what, what amount of money each task is worth and what we're making if we're doing that task. So if I'm scrubbing my floors, I'm not making money. And if I'm retouching images or I'm doing other things that I could hire others to do who probably are better at for sure anyway at them. Absolutely. Um, then that's how I, that's how I get the balance. I love it. And, and this is also something that I, that I speak with photographers about quite a bit, but there's a difference. The way that I categorize it is proactive versus reactive and proactive yeah. tasks and activities are those things that, that on a personal level help us reach our, our personal goals, right? Maybe even bucket, bucket list items on a business level. There are those things that are actually moving our business forward. They're increasing our bottom line. You still have all of these kind of reactive tasks, if you will. You, you alluded to cleaning the house, you know, mowing the lawn or doing laundry or any of these things that we have to do just to have a decent existence as an individual. But they don't necessarily require us and they certainly don't help us reach our personal goals. Same thing applies to business. All of these tasks like editing, for example, that take up a ton of time but don't necessarily require our involvement can be delegated elsewhere and you know, ultimately Money is renewable, but time certainly isn't. And when we're talking about time spent with relationships or on relationships with those that are most important to us, uh, I can't imagine a better way to spend our time. So the fact that you've prioritized that, uh, that you've structured your business and business models to uh, support that effort and then have focused on delegating those things that you don't need to be spending your time on. I think this is a really great model overall for our listeners to follow in order to kind of maximize the amount of flexibility and freedom in their lives as business owners. This has been really, really great information, and I can't thank you enough. Talk to us a little bit about where our listeners can find you online, your photography business, yeah. your marketing, uh, and talk about that event coming up here in May. Yeah. So Sarah Petty is just sarahpetty.com if you want to see what we're doing at my studio joyofmarketing.com. Sign up for anything on our site and you'll be notified. We always have education. We put so much education out there because I'm trying to change this industry and get away from the shoot and burn and the fact that photographers are treated like commodities and disrespected. And uh, we do have a free challenge right now at, that you can sign up for at joyofmarketing.com. It'll pop up. It's, it's seven days on getting over those blocks that are keeping you from being a good salesperson because all of you can be taught it. Selling is not a talent, something you're born with. It's a skill and you can learn to be an amazing salesperson and have your clients pay you big money and hug you when you're done. They're not going to leave and be like, oh, I can't believe how expensive Nathan was. They're going to say, <laughs> I, Nathan, yes, he was, I, I gave him a lot of money, but it was worth every penny. Love it. Uh, I'm certainly going to go sign up because uh, I have a lot of work to do in this area. And I know that plenty of our listeners will find value in this as well. So uh, thanks so much for sharing all of this with us, Sarah. You've been an absolute gem. And uh, I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better. 
Uh, you guys make sure you go check out Sarah, sarahpetty.com, joyofmarketing.com. Thanks again, Sarah, for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Please let us know what you thought by leaving us a review in iTunes. If you'd like to hear a particular photographer or entrepreneur in a future episode, don't hesitate to email me, nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.